Well, let's get going. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. As, we, as you guys well know, we've been in this series. This is the 23rd week we've been in this series on the new man. And the reason we spend so much time on these things is I like to leave no stone unturned. We have got to come to an understanding of what Scripture says. And in this case, what Scripture says about us. Because that's really what we're looking at. We've got to understand that when we are truly born again, that that new man, that spiritual man, is recreated. He is born again into the image of God. You have to get that. Because if you don't understand that, then you will walk around as a defeated person. Because I guarantee you, we have all done things that God is not proud of. We've all done things that we are not proud of, right? In some way or another, we've missed the mark at some point. That's what Scripture tells us. But the good news is, is that when we are created into the image of God, that past is gone because that old man died with Christ on the cross and we were resurrected with him on the third day just like he was that's what it that's what the bible says and if that's the case then we are made new so what's in the past doesn't matter right it's it's behind us we can't change it you guys remember from like the lion king you guys remember that movie some of you might be a little young for the lion king okay but but if you haven't seen it there's that that part you know where that that crazy monkey right Right? And I don't know about you guys, but I remember watching that movie thinking, I'm like, boy, this reminds me of an uncle of mine, you know? And so everybody's got the crazy monkey in their family of some, some, some way or another. But he whacks, what is it, Simba? No, not Simba. No, no, no. Who's the, who's the little lion? Who's the, come on. Uh, it is Simba. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was thinking Timon and Pumbaa. I don't know why. Now I've got Hakuna Matata in my head. Okay, Simba, he whacks him. He's like, it doesn't matter what's behind you. It's behind you, you know, and all this other stuff. Like, we have got to get that understanding. And the reason we have to get that understanding is because we aren't just simply born again to get into heaven. Yes, that's part of it. But once that happens, what, what does the Bible tell us? We've read these verses every week. Is that we are now an ambassador for Christ. We are his representative. And with that comes responsibility. Our responsibility is first to ourselves in sanctification. Be holy because he is holy. We begin, our lives begin to change. Our actions begin to change. You know what changes more than anything? The motive behind why somebody does something. You can be a good person, a nice person that does good things for other people. But in one way or another, a lot of times that can be somewhat self-serving. But when you become born again and the Holy Spirit dwells within you and that spirit is made new, suddenly our sole focus becomes interested in the things of God. I mean, why would you get up on a Sunday morning and just come to church if there's no life in it? If there's, there's no reason to it. Because I don't know about y'all, but there are some Sunday mornings when you wake up and you're like, this bed's pretty awesome, right? And you guys know what's going to happen come fall. What happens come fall? It's football season. And depending on your allegiances, you all know where I'm at, we're not going to go there. But you may stay up too late on Saturday watching the game, or you may get up not, you know, just enough time because the game starts at 11 o'clock on a Sunday and you don't want to miss kickoff. And so why would we, we change what we're doing in order to, to come to church and all of that? Our motives begin to change. We want to be more like God. So that's to ourselves first. We start to act like him. We sound like him. And then that love for people, just like he had, starts to indwell us and, and take over us. And then suddenly, we're not just looking to be nice to people. We're looking to see their hearts change just like ours was. Our motivation changes. It becomes more like him. 
And so we see that we're born again. We see that we're new in the image of Christ. And as the body of Christ, when he says that we're his ambassadors, that means we are his hands and his feet. Remember what we read last week in Ephesians 1, how it talks about that Christ is the head, seated at the right hand of God. But his body, which is the church, is seated there with him. It's an authority. We, what we're getting into is understanding that we have an authority from God on this earth. We have a responsibility to him. We take authority over what? Not people. I don't have authority over you. You don't have authority over me. I don't have authority over a single individual in this world. What I do have an authority over is the same thing that Jesus did. All principalities and powers and the wickedness in high places. All of those things we have authority over. And we are his hands and feet on this earth. He has now delegated that authority to us. That means what? If somebody doesn't take authority over the work of the enemy, who's going to do it? Nobody. Jesus isn't going to come down here and start taking care of it because he's been handed it to us. Think about it this way. Let me put this in a way that maybe you'll make a little more sense. If you and I do not go out and preach the gospel so that those who are not saved may hear the truth of the scriptures and become saved like you and I, who's going to do it? It's not going to be Jesus. Whose job is it? He gave it to us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. Who did he say do that? He didn't say, hey guys, you just sit back, I'll take care of it. That's not what he said. He gave the responsibility to us. So we are seated far above all principalities and powers. We've got to understand that. Not for our benefit, but for his. Remember what Paul says, like, because it's the spirit of Christ, it compels us to preach to you the truth of the gospel. We're compelled by Christ, his love for humanity, that none shall perish but have everlasting life in him. It's in him. It's not by the things you do, it's by the things he's done. We receive that free gift. Romans 5, 17, and this is coming out of the classic Amplified Bible. It says, for if because of one man's trespass, his lapse, or his offense, death reigned through that one, and we're talking about Adam here, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, his unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into the right standing with himself, reign as kings in life, through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. How do we reign as kings? Through Jesus. How does a king reign? He reigns pretty well, right? There's no such thing as a hungry king, right? What happens when he's hungry? Somebody brings him food. Like some of you guys are thinking, I'm the king of my household, right? When I say sandwich, she brings it to me, right? No? Doesn't happen in my house either. I was just curious. I thought, you know... Maybe one of y'all had a, the corner on the market and can teach lessons or something. But, but that's the thing, guys, is that kings on this earth for Christ, it's in him that we are this, we reign on earth over the spiritual darkness that is in this world. We have got to start acting like the hands and feet of Christ. We have to. Because God's not going to come down here and say, don't worry, guys, I'll take care of this. Brother Hagen, Kenneth Hagen, and those of you guys who know him, he was the founder of the Bible school that I went to. Okay, he would tell this story that he had a vision of Jesus one time. And Jesus is talking to him. And so Jesus is giving him directions or whatever, and all of a sudden this demon thing, this little imp looking whatever you want to call it, comes up and starts jumping in front of Jesus. And he's like creating this smoke screen or whatever. And so now he can't see Jesus very well, and he can hardly hear what Jesus is saying. So he's missing the entire thing that Jesus is telling him in this vision. And he's getting irritated, as would you. Picture your kids, right? 
Think of your kids. I don't want to compare your children to demons, so don't, don't go there. But think, put it in something you can understand. Okay, well, maybe some of your children. I don't know. But, but, but here's the thing. Is that like what happens when you're trying to talk to your wife or your husband? They don't care what conversation you're having. They want your attention now. You might be watching TV. What do they want? Your attention. The game's on. And that big play's just about to happen. And what do they do? They get your attention. You know who else does that? Your wife. She does that as well. Right? She's, she don't care. Right, they want that attention. So here's what's happening. He's getting irritated because this thing, he's trying to hear from Jesus in this vision. And he can't hear him. And he's sitting there thinking, he's like, Jesus, would you do something about this? Can you, can you step on that thing? Whatever. Can you do something about it? Finally, he gets irritated. He says, in the name of Jesus, you got to go. And the thing went. And then Jesus said, if you hadn't done that, I couldn't have. Because where was the authority given? It was given to man. It was given to us as we reign. Now, I know that seems kind of a crazy story, but there's a principle there. Jesus is not doing the work on this earth. You and I are. The Holy Spirit is drawing those people to him, but we have been given the authority to reign as kings, not over people. I want to make that clear, right? We have free will. They have free will. They can make a decision, but man, we've got a responsibility here, and it's one that we should take seriously, and the problem we have in the church today is we do not take it serious enough. There are people every day dying and going to hell, and they are content in life, and I don't know about you all. I mean, I grew up in the church. I was born again at a young age. I kind of walked away from the Lord for a while, but when I came back, but there's not a day that goes by that I am not thankful for two reasons, and I'll tell you what. You get somebody, if I brought in somebody up here and I want, they wanted to give their testimony how they, they were just strung out on crack and their life was horrible and they had needles around them and all of that and the Lord supernaturally like just got a hold of them and His bright light shone and they were set free from that. We're all like, man, what a testimony. That's powerful how we see God work in that moment. My testimony is incredibly boring. And I'm so thankful for it. Because think about it. I mean, I could have gone through to hell and back, but I didn't. Thank God. I'm so thankful for it. We have got to understand where we are, who we are, and that we are in Him. That new man has authority. That new man has a job to do. Remember, the first thing that God gave to man when He created him, Adam, was a job. You need to tend the garden and keep it. He later gave him a family. He started with the responsibility. Now let's look at Ephesians 1 because I want to show you guys something today as we get into this. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15, we've read this the last couple of weeks, but we're going to look at it from a little different angle today. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith, this is Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, and the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and He seated Him at the right hand of the heavenly places. And remember, the resurrection is the key moment. we always got to keep that in mind. Verse 21, far above all principality and power, and might and dominion, and every name that is named, 
not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave to him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now we see this, that at the resurrection is a demonstration of the power of God. Because, let me tell you something, people don't just pop up from the dead. It doesn't happen. It takes a supernatural thing. It's like, if the God of, of the Bible who creates all things uh, can do that, he certainly can bring somebody back. And he did that as a demonstration of his power. Then, he seats him at the right hand of God as the place of authority. But what's it above? Principalities and powers. Over every name that is named, right? That doesn't leave anything else. He is above all of those things. They were put under his feet. He's head over all things to the church, which is his body. So if he's seated at the right hand of the Father, where are you and I? We are the body of Christ. We are the church. We are seated there with him. But what are we over? Principalities and powers. I want to focus on that today. Let's look at Romans 8, verse 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor what? Principalities and powers. Nor things present, nor things to come. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what do we see again? We see that principality and power mentioned again. Now here's the problem, and this is what happens today, is that we as the body of Christ, oftentimes we read our Bibles. Why do we do it? Because we feel like we should. And the truth is we should. But it has to have a reason to it, and we have to know what we're reading. And a lot of times we glance over these things, and we read these verses, and they become fortune cookies for us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or principalities nor powers, and blah, 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 blah. But we don't stop to think, what is he talking about here? Because what he just said is nothing can separate us from the love of God. Death can't, life can't, angels can't, and whatever these principalities and powers are, they can't. Nothing present or things to come, Cam. There's not a height, there's not a depth. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. So what are these principalities and powers? Well, let's look at verse Peter 3. You're going to see the same thing over and over again. There is also an anti-type which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and has the right hand of God. So again, we see a confirmation of where he, has, where he is. Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Okay, So angels, authorities, and powers are subject to him. Don't read that quick. These are individual type things that are being spoken of here. But we often just read that like, yeah, he's over everything. Yeah, but he's also over specific things. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all saints, again, this is Paul speaking, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places." According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask what do you, that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now what did he just say? That this mystery, which is the Gentiles, and you've got to understand that. 
is that God was the God of the Jews, the Israelites. He was the one that they made covenant with. And so the Jewish Messiah was coming. They've been waiting for thousands of years for this Messiah to come. Adam was waiting for this Messiah to come. When is he going to come? We don't know. But when he comes, he is going to come. He's going to make all things right. He's going to fix it all. And what does he do? He shows up and he dies. They weren't expecting that. Some, some caught it. Others didn't. They didn't think their Messiah was going to die. They thought he was going to set up his kingdom and reign. They were expecting two Messiahs to come. But instead they've got one that's coming twice. Because he came to die as that propitiation for our sins. As that sacrifice. But he will come again and reign as that king. So the Jewish Messiah came once. But the mystery is, is all of these people who are outside of the covenant are now welcomed in. Read Acts 10. Read Acts 15. They don't know what to do about this. Peter was just completely perplexed that God would pour out His Spirit on the Gentiles like He did us. Who is a Gentile? Everybody who's not a Jew. You are either Jewish or not. We are the not. Okay? And so this is the mystery. But who did He, re- who did he make it known to, I guess? Is that has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church. So we should know it. Also to the principalities and powers who are in the heavenly places. That's where they, they go. Now, who are these principalities and powers? Because we keep seeing this over and over again. Well, we'll get there. Look at Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or what? Principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So we see it again. Well, let's look at another one. Colossians 2 verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of what? All principality and power. Okay? Let's look at another one. Let's jump down to verse 11. In Him you are also crucified with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcisions of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. He wiped away the handwriting of requirements that were against us, which is contrary to us. And He has taken it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. And then what did He disarm? Principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Can you see that this is not a euphemism? This principality and power reigns in the heavenly places. And as we know is whatever this is, Christ has now made a mockery of it, a public spectacle of it, because he's triumphed over them. You guys with me so far? Because obviously we're seeing very Jewish language, the circumcision made without hands. Remember, to be underneath the covenant of Moses and the covenant of Abraham, one had to be circumcised in their flesh. But even Moses told the Israelites, you're circumcised in your flesh, but you need to be circumcised in your heart, because your heart is far from God. And so, here we see this this language used again, but he disarmed them. Now, what does this mean? 
It means he took away whatever they had in order to do battle. When you disarm somebody, when they go to war, they disarm a nation. They, we see this going on right now in, in North Korea. What's happening? They are now agreeing, because of the sanctions that have been placed in by the President and the Congress, is that now they're agreeing to disarm their nuclear testing and their long-range missile test. By disarming them, they no longer have the power and ability to attack in that manner. So these principalities and powers have been disarmed, but then he made a public spectacle of them uh, because he triumphed over them. So what does that mean? In the ancient times, when they would go in and they would conquer a land, they'd be in war, whatever the case may be, they would then take all the authority, the kings, the generals, everybody that was in that, and they would march them through them. They would disarm them, they would disrobe them. Oftentimes they would walk them through there naked, showing that everybody who could see it, who's in charge now? These guys no longer have power over you. We are now in charge. You see this in other things oftentimes uh, in today's day and age is that when there is a, a communist dictator and somebody overthrows him, what do they do? They usually kill them publicly, flog them or do something to show that nation that they are no longer in charge. What did Jesus do? Whatever these principalities and powers were or are, no longer have the power over us. You guys following me so far? Still doesn't tell us who they are. It doesn't tell us what they are. It just simply means to us that one, this is not just colorful language. This is a, a specific reference to something. And that whatever it is has no authority over us. We've got to get that. We are the body of Christ. We are reigning with Him in the heavenly places, seated at the right hand of God. And all authority has been given to us over these principalities and powers. You guys with me so far? Okay, now let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. This is where we see the armor of God. And oftentimes we read this, but we read it quick. Three years ago, I went through and I taught on every single one of these. And we will address these again here very soon. Because what we're going from is, and what we're getting into is essentially spiritual warfare. And we need to understand that. Because we do not war in the flesh. We war spiritually. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against power. So we see it again. Against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, what did we see before? Where were these principalities and powers? They said they were in the heavenly places. North of us, if you will. So we see here, we got to know what the wiles of the devil were. And we'll get into that. Simply, it's the methods that he used, but we'll talk about that more in depth. But he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Is that a true statement? It is. Do we believe it? Well, let me ask you this. Because when tough times come, and what you could be considered an attack of the enemy, where do we turn first? Do we turn to the things of the Lord, or do we turn to something physical to overcome it? You know what we do? We oftentimes turn to something physical to overcome it. We'll talk about it, we'll do something, whatever the case may be, but we don't go to prayer. I mean, think about it. I cannot tell you how many times that something's happened in somebody's life, and then the first, they'll call me up and say, man, this just happened and all of that, and I'm like, well, have you, have you prayed? Well, no, I haven't yet. Well, why are you calling me first? Like, I can't fix this, but I can go to prayer with you, but, but that's the thing. It's the last thing we turn to. It's our last resort. We don't know what else to do, so then we do this. It should be our first thing. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against the things of, that are natural. 
We wrestle against these principalities and powers. Now, what we know is that we have authority over them. So why do we need to wrestle them? Well, part of it is because is we need to continue to reign as Christ on this earth. So let's begin to look at some of this stuff in the Greek, okay? Again, we're just introducing this idea, but I want you guys to get this. The word wrestle comes from the Greek word pale, okay? P-A-L-E, like you're feeling kind of pale, you look pale, whatever the case may be. This word pale means struggling, wrestling, or hand-to-hand fighting. So this is kind of the idea that we're going to get. We don't fight with flesh and blood, but we fight hand-to-hand against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness. Now, the word palestra is derived from this word, and it's a famous house of combat that was known in the Greeks. Kind of take a look at this. That's kind of the ruins there on, on, on your left. But on the right, it was, it'll give you an idea of what it looked like and how it was set up. It would be the Olympians. This is kind of where we get the idea of the Olympic Games. They would have boxing, and they would have wrestling, and, and they'd have uh, these, they call them pancreatists, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about that. But this is not the cute kind of like, oh, that's nice, you win a medal at the end of it type of thing. These were very common, and people would get into this, and they would do it, and they would travel around to different cities and do this kind of stuff. So, boxers, wrestlers, and this pancreatist, I'll explain that in a minute. Now, here's what happens. These boxers, now how do we see boxing today? They put in their mouth guard, they got a referee between them, they go in, what was it, 12 rounds or 15 rounds? I don't remember. I don't watch boxing. Whatever it is, it looks exhausting, okay? And, and so they get in there and the bell rings and they got these big padded gloves on and they go in there and punch each other. And so there's a list of rules that you can't do, like you can't bite, right? You guys remember when Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear? Right? That was a no-no, not supposed to do that, Okay? Um, they, they hit each other with these gloves, they take body shots, head shots, whatever. Um, if it gets too out of hand, that the ref will call it. They ring the bell every three minutes, and they go to their corners, and they, they wipe them down, and they doctor them up, and all of that. Like, what we see today is nothing like it used to be, because what these guys would wear were gloves that look similar to this. Now, this is an idea. They would be wrapped in some sort of a leather, leather and those little knobs on there were chunks of metal. There were times they'd have jagged edges. So imagine getting punched in the face with that. Wouldn't that feel lovely? They would hit each other. They did not have mouth guards. And, they would, and, and when it ended was either when the person was completely incapacitated or he was dead. There was no in-between. There were no rules to speak of. No rings. The whole Colosseum was the ring. Okay? So they didn't have the, little, the ropes or nothing like that. No rounds. There's also no weight classes. Okay? So... So a guy my size could go after a guy Tyler's size, right? Wave at the people, Tyler. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm slightly larger than he is. Now, in Tyler's case, his best defense is wait till I swing once and then run out of breath, and he'd take me down after that. But, I mean, there was nothing. You go until the person is either dead or incapacitated. This is where this word is coming from. This is the image that Paul is painting here. Now, wrestling was similar to this. They didn't punch, but they would, they would just go after each other. There was really no rules. There were things that were frowned upon, but they would gouge each other's eyes and things like that. Did I mention it's all in the nude? Yeah. Doesn't that sound fun? I didn't go out for wrestling in high school, but something about wearing spandex and rolling around on a mat with a sweaty guy did not appeal to me this would take it up a level, okay? Now, 
the pancreatists, these guys, was kind of a mixture of the two. It was kind of what we would consider MMA, U, uh, UFC, I almost said UCF, go Scott Frost, UFC fighting, um, where it was kind of like they'd wrestle and they'd box and stuff, but there was really no real rules. They weren't supposed to bite, they weren't supposed to eye gouge, but nobody really policed it because there is no referee. So keep this in your mind. This is what we're reading about here in Ephesians chapter 6 in this spiritual warfare because this is the painting that Paul, or the picture Paul is trying to, to get us to see. This is who we are wrestling with. We are face to face with the enemy. We are standing there at ground zero. It is a bitter struggle of intense conflict. Every Jewish reader would have got this. He knew exactly what he was talking about. We don't. We think, oh, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against every principality and every power and every darkness and ruler of this age. I mean, this is what we think about. But with the demonic forces, there are no rules for them. It's whatever goes. There is no line that can't be crossed. And so when we look at this, we've got to understand, okay, they've been defeated. But it is our responsibility in this earth to reign with the authority of Christ to keep them there, if you will. We have to remind them where they are. We take authority over them because they've been defeated on whose behalf? Our behalf. But death still reigns with those who are not in him. And that is where we go. Because when we, here's the thing. There are four things, and I've talked about this before, that every believer has to know from the scripture. Here are the four. I've shown you guys this before. We need to know who is God, who am I in relationship to God, how do I worship Him, and the fourth is who is my enemy. So when we get here is who is God? We need to know who is God the Father. Like we say God, but what does that mean? Because that means different things to different people. And it's not who do I think God is, it's who is He and how has He revealed Himself to mankind. Well, He's done it through the Scriptures. And Romans 1 says that we can see Him in the creation through the things that are made. Therefore, that there is no one that is without belief. And then we need to know, who am I in relationship to him? In other words, who does he say that I am? Because if I'm in him, then I am made in the image of Christ. And if that's the case, that the dead is gone and the new has come, and therefore I reign with him. Right? We've got to know who we are in relationship with him. And the third thing we've got to know is, how do I worship him? Because we don't worship Him in any way that we want. In the Old Testament, how do they worship God? They did it through the sacrifice and through the temple. And they would go there, and they would bring that, and they would bring sin offerings, and they'd bring thank offerings, and they'd bring all of these different things. That's how they worship Him. But you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so therefore, how do we worship Him? We worship Him as what? Living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing and acceptable before Him. In other words, our lives look in the image of which He wants us to look. We begin to do the things that he wants us to do. We're living and not dead. We should be willing to lay down our life for him. But more importantly, we must be willing to live our life for him. Because that's where we need to be. If everybody died for Christ, there'd be nobody left to live for him. We've got to live for him. But the last one is we need to know who is my enemy. Who's my enemy? You know who's not my enemy? People. I don't care where they are, I don't care what they believe, I don't care what nationality they are or where they come from, I don't care about anything like that because they are not my enemy. It is the darkness, there's principalities and powers that are keeping them from the truth. That's my enemy. That's who I'm going after. We've talked about this in, in Mark 4 and Luke chapter 8 of the parable of the soils and how the first one, the, the seed is sown, which is the word. 
But the birds of the air, which is the devil, comes to take the seed away, lest they should believe and be saved. That is who I'm battling against. I'm battling against the devil, the birds, those birds of the air that are coming and trying to keep people from hearing the truth of the gospel and accepting it and receiving Jesus as their Savior. That's who my enemy is. So I am not at odds with anybody. I am at odds with the one who's been defeated. So let's look at this again. Ephesians 6.10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, this against word here comes from the Greek word pros, P-R-O-S. And it means a face-to-face encounter. So, we see how we're face-to-face, this hand-to-hand fighting. How do I know what this is? Because in John 1.1, the word is used here. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, pros. Means face to face. The word being Jesus, he was face to face with the Father. And so when we see this, we see it again in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle against, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that we wrestle face to face with the enemy. We are in there hand to hand combat, up close and personal. But here's the question is that if you're not actively engaged in if you're not feeling the heat from the enemy, if you will, that, that there's something going on and things trying to go against you, then are you really engaged in this battle? Because we should be. You see, the enemy will allow you to kind of stand off in the corner and do nothing. If you're willing to just show up on Sunday mornings and go to church and say, oh yeah, I'm good to go, you know, I put in my time, that's exactly what the enemy wants. That's what the parent talking about you got the first group who never becomes saved the next two groups that believe the word they receive it they're born again but they never bring fruit to maturity in other words there i'm in but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches i never do anything with it but i'm I'm saved and then you got the last group who produce a good harvest some 30 60 and some hundred fold you see this is where we should be many times we fall in the other two so we wrestle face to face with this. And as you study this out, there are, most of the Greek scholars agree that what Paul is describing here is showing a military alignment, kind of a ranking, if you will. Because principality comes from the Greek word archas, A-R-C-H-A-S. And it's used symbolically of individuals. They will hold the highest and the loftiest positions of rank and authority. This principality is up here. It's this ranking, if you will. Powers comes from the Greek word exousia, A-E-X-O-U-S-I-A, and refers to a delegated authority. This authority has been given to them. It's the idea that's implied that they do what they want, where they want. And then you get into this rulers of this dark world, which comes from the Greek word kosmokateros. I know we were just hoping to hear all this Greek today, but you've got to see this. It's a compound word here. That comes from cosmos, which means the order of arrangement or arrangement somehow in that. And kratos, which is raw power. This was used by the Greek military of these young men, these young soldiers who were incredibly strong and had natural ability and raw power. But they needed it harnessed and directed, right? I mean, you all know somebody's like, man, if they'd use that power for good and not evil, referring to some natural ability that they have, what could they do? 
And you've got this spiritual wickedness in high places. This wickedness is paneros, P-O-N-E-R-O-S. It's something that is bad, it's vile, it's malevolent, it's vicious, it's impious, it's a malignment. It's all of these things put together is that this is what we're wrestling against. What we're not wrestling against are people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the work of the enemy. But are we wrestling? The answer is maybe we're not, but we should be. Because when you go out there and you share the gospel with somebody, you're wrestling against the spiritual darkness of this world. And sin loves the darkness, and it hates the light. We've got to be engaged in this, because this is the authority. When he says that we are his ambassadors, this is what he's expecting us to do. When he told the disciples before he ascended, listen, I need you to go into Jerusalem, and I need you to hang out there until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, because you need that power to act out on my behalf in this world. And we watch it happen in Acts 2, where the Spirit of God falls on them, and 3,000 come to the saving knowledge of Jesus at that moment. And then in Acts 8, and Acts 9, and Acts 10, we watch the Holy Spirit fall upon them. And you look at the book of Acts, it changed the entire world. There wasn't one individual there that, if this was not true, had any reasoning to go about this way. Because Paul, as an example, was of the highest order of the Jewish faith and went against that after he had an encounter with Jesus and began going against the things of this world. You see, all of these things, all this spiritual darkness, all of this nonsense is what we have authority over because they have been put under the feet of Jesus. And we are seated with Him at the right hand of the Father. Now with this in mind, let's read Ephesians 1 again. Verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, you got to understand, this is not colorful language. We are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father, above all principalities and powers and might and dominion because they've been placed under His feet because He showed them openly when He defeated them at the cross and when He was resurrected. Do you think the enemy had any idea that when Jesus died on the cross that He was coming back? He wouldn't have killed Him if He thought that that was what was going to do it. He's not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. He marches around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We need to understand what this fourth thing is. Who is my enemy? It is not the people who disagree with you. It is the spiritual influence in their life that keeps them from going after God with everything that they have. We've got to understand that. Now, these powers and principalities and all of that have one person in charge. That's what we call Lucifer, Satan, the adversary the devil, whatever you want to call him, but we need to understand who he is, what he is, 
and where he came from. We're going to begin to look at this. And I know this is kind of a, a, a little different topic, I guess, if you will, because a lot of people don't like, well, I don't, I don't really want to know that. How can you go after him if you don't know who he is? How can you go after him if you don't know what he does and how he does it and how he operates? We have got to get to the point where we understand why he is the way he is. So we're going to look at who he is, what he is. We're also going to look at when he fell. Because it's important that we understand that. And Scripture gives us the answer to all of that. And so as we go forward, we've got to understand the reason we're doing this is so we know exactly what we're up against. So we can take the authority as the ambassadors of Christ and do His work and be His hands and be His feet in this earth. You guys with me?